Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Amen. I have often, uh, I often tell people that if, if I wasn't a pastor, I, I would be a coach. Uh, o- over the years, y'all have heard uh, many of my, of my wonderful coaching stories. <laughs> I am a, I'm an exhorter at heart. I, I love building things. I love watching people come together. I love watching people grow. Uh, I, I've coached Luke and Levi in, in soccer, in baseball, in basketball. Uh, I've coached Titus, our, our, our middle son, uh, in, in basketball and in soccer. Uh, I, maybe my, my greatest coaching challenge came this past spring. I coached Benjamin, our fourth son, uh, his little four, five, and six-year-old soccer team. Uh, and, and let me just let me just say, if if you're looking to uh, the kindergartners as the leadership on the squad, uh, that enough said. It was rough, and at times it, it felt more like uh, herding a bunch of uh, hearing impaired squirrels uh, than it, than it did actually coaching a soccer squad. Uh, but but as the season progressed, like we we came together and we scored a bunch of a bunch of goals and we grew in our skills, we we grew as as a team together. Uh, and, and and what was cool about Ben's team is man, we had we had kids with learning disabilities. We we had we had kids from all types of different backgrounds, different home lives, different socioeconomic situations. Man, we had African African American kiddos, white kiddos. Hispanic kiddos all on the same team. And, and the beauty, the beauty of, of at least sports is that all of those collective differences fade to the background. And, and when you're out on that field, uh, our team, uh, we, we came together around a common goal. That being to, to destroy all the other four through six-year-old teams. <laughs> I'm kidding, sort of. <laughs> Restoration fam, church, church is a team sport, amen? I don't know if y'all hear me this morning. Church is a team sport, amen? And throughout the New Testament, we see this. And if, if your Christianity, if your version of Christianity just entails like, uh, it's just me and Jesus, just me and Jesus, that's not biblical Christianity. And you say, well, man, the church is broken and the church is, is messy. Yeah, because you're a part of it. <laughs> and so am I. But the church, we say this often, is God's plan A to make disciples of all nations. Amen, church? It's God's plan. And here in Acts 15, as as we find really throughout Acts, we, we see decisions being made by, really by design, to keep 
God's people unified around its, this, this shared identity and ideology rooted in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. In those two words, identity and ideology, those words, they're buzzwords, but man, you know, in Christian circles and even outside in the culture, but I can't think of two more important words right now in our day. And Christian, here's the question. Where is your identity right now? Where is your identity right now? I see so many people uh, living from the, these fractured identities. They're, they're, they're placing their hope and their all in their life in these, these things that were not meant to be their primary identity. Because in, in, inevitably, your identity will drive your ideology and your worldview. So Christian, what are, what are you believing? What are you believing right now? James, and we're going we're gonna to hear from James in just a moment, but James in, in, his, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4, said, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Then Paul would say in Romans 12, too, a little bit later, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, church, we've, we've talked about this before. Like there's, there's, listen, there's no neutral. We are either being, we're either being pulled to conformity to the world or we are renewing our minds with the word of God. Amen. Amen. We're renewing our minds with what God's word says about us. Christian, do you, do you know, I know that the voice of culture is loud, but Christian, do you know whose you are? Christian, do you know what you believe? Listen, don't, don't waver. We talked about this last week. Don't waver with the gospel. Don't, don't step off the gospel. There, there was a lot at stake at this Jerusalem council. There was a, a lot that was on the line. But know this, there's a lot at stake too today. Amen? There's a lot at stake right now, and we cannot lose sight of a gospel-centered identity and ideology. And so I want to I jump in, and we're going we're gonna, to, two points this morning, but we're, we're, we, we, we're going to press in, and I want us to get this. First thing I want to look at in verse 12 through 18 is a gospel-centered identity. And what that's about is that is about being a people for his name. A people for his name. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, a people for his name. Look at your other neighbor and say, a people for his name. Awesome. Look at verse 12. It says this. All the assembly fell silent. Peter just got done speaking in verse 11. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, or Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. There you see it. And with, 
With his words of the prophet, the, the words of the prophet agree just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord in all the Gentiles. Check this out. Who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Our identity is this. We must be a people for his name. Church, say his name. name. The echo of Peter's final words still, still hung in the air from verse 11. You can look back where Peter says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Church fam, Peter could not have been more definitive, right? And I need, us, I need us to sit in this moment for a bit because verse 12 tells us that this, this was an assembly. This was an assembly. And, and, and that, that Greek word plethos, this wasn't, this wasn't your small group gathering having a little discussion. Listen, this was a multitude, a multitude. That's what that word means, a multitude of people, church leaders that had come together to make a decision on whether or not works were necessary for salvation, to be made right with God. And the text says that they all fell silent. There was no more debate. There was, there was no more dissension that we saw earlier last week in Acts 15. And they're, they're, we're going to see there's going to be more dialogue. But from here on out, the voice of the Judaizers is gone. And Paul and Barnabas, they get up and they recount again. They chime in again on what God had done in the, Gentile, in the Gentiles. But then in verse 13, James speaks up. James speaks up without a doubt whether we realize it or not, James is the decisive voice of this council. This, this was not James the apostle. Rather, this was James the brother of Jesus who had come to faith shortly after the resurrection. R.C. Sproul says this. He reminds us, James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. It is James who gave us the most morally inclined book of the New Testament, the book that bears his name. Uh, It is James, Sproul says, who was nicknamed Old Camel Knees. Uh, Hope that's not your nickname. I don't know. Actually, it, it means you're a prayer warrior. Because James knelt in prayer so frequently. And Sproul says this, if anyone, if anyone was gonna back the Judaizers, it would have been James. But any hope of James siding with this, with the gospel plus crowd quickly vanished with his words in verses 14 through 18. And it's, it's easy to miss, church family, the significance, especially of verse 14. When James connects the Gentiles, check this out, to a people for God's name. See, that, that Greek word for people is the word laos. And it was understood as God's unique people. And in the Old Testament, it was, that, word, that word was only used for the nation of Israel. 
It was only used for Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy 14.2, the term a people for God's own possession was meant to contrast Israel from the nations. It was meant to contrast them from the Gentiles. But now James testifies that God is, he's not only received the Gentiles, which man, that's pretty cool in and of itself, but he has called them, check this out, his people. Amen? He's called them his people. That's good news for me. Who will reflect his character and represent his name and his reputation, the name and reputation of God to the world. (laughs) It's like this. How many many of you have been watching the the Olympics over the last few weeks? How many many have been watching the Olympics? I've got to get out more. Actually, I've not gotten out enough. That's why I've been watching it. Uh, never in my wildest imagination would I, uh, would I have thought that I would become like so enthralled with water polo <laughs> or handball or, or, or fencing, right? Those guys, I, like, and, and what in the world? I, I, like, what is up with Taekwondo? Can I just confess? Like, I don't even know what I'm watching, no clue, no clue. I, I watched a whole match where I thought one guy had won, and he like lost like seven to two. No clue what I'm watching there. But I'm a I'm a I'm a basketball guy, and, and so uh, so so what's fascinating about the U.S. national team that they they just won the gold medal, but less than a month ago, you you had these NBA guys battling it out for the NBA championship, and, and so uh, they're representing their individual teams. So so. You got Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday who play for Milwaukee, and man, they're going to head-to-head with Devin Booker uh, for the NBA championship just weeks ago, weeks ago in the NBA finals. But the moment, the moment they arrive in Tokyo and they don that USA jersey, everything changed. They're now teammates. They don't, they don't represent their, their old squads now. They represent the name on the back of their jersey. Church fam, I want you to say his name. We are to be a people for his name. Church fam, don't, don't miss it. James goes on to let the council know that, listen, the, the Gentiles as the people of God and they're, and they're in the Jews, their now shared identity with the Gentiles, it shouldn't come as a surprise. We've talked about this before. It goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 3. But it also was connected back to the prophets of Israel and what they had long foretold. And so James, he, he quotes specifically, if you want to jot this down, from Amos chapter 9. He quotes from Amos 9, 11 through 12. But, but listen, the, the, the reality is this. All of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah and others had sought to connect the dots for Israel on God's unfolding plans. Tony, Tony Evans says this. Dr. Evans says, James reminded them that God had intervened to save the Gentiles through Peter, just as the prophets had promised long before. And, and Evans says this, he quotes from Amos 9, 11 through 12, to show that the scripture testified 
to God's comprehensive plan, check this out, for redemption for all people. And we see in verse 16, God's eternal plan was to rebuild and to restore Israel. But that, that plan had always included Romans 11, grafting in the Gentiles. Amen? There was always the plan to form a, a new people, his church, a people whose primary identity would be in their collective redemption from sin by the glorious grace of Jesus. Amen? So you say, what, what, do we, what do we do with this? What's, what's, the, what's the application? What does this mean for the church today? What, what does this mean for you, Christian? Man, I, I see this all around us. Man, we're, 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 so, we're so arrogant. We're so, we're so culturally arrogant. We, we think that all our cultural challenges and all of, our, all of our societal woes are so unique to us. We act like, we act like, and I've even say, seen it written and said, but we act like the Bible know, knows nothing of bringing diverse peoples together with all their baggage and history and barriers and wounds. Man, how, how arrogant of us. How arrogant. It means that, church family, it means we're not mining the depths of God's word. Help us. It means we're, we're missing what's happening here in Acts. See, the only path forward for Jew and Gentile was to recognize that whoever they were, whatever they, they were before, whatever had gone on before, and whatever had come before, all of it, their previous identity was secondary to their new identity in Jesus and here's the question, right? Because this is, this is where we got to, this has got to sink in. Christian, whose name do you represent? Whose name do you represent? Christian, before you represent the, the Republican or Democrat Party, before you represent a country or an ethnicity or a group or a camp or a tribe, man, you represent the name of Jesus, you represent the name of Jesus. And anyone, check this out, anyone who represents the same name is now gospel fam. They're, they're gospel family. Why? Because we have, we have all been mercifully redeemed from our sins by the precious blood of Jesus. And that, that, trumps everything. In the name of Jesus trumps everything. And God help the American church. Man, God help the American church if we don't get back to this identity. God help us. Second thing this morning, we're going to look at ideology in 19 through 21. And here's, here's the ideology. We are a fellowship of others first. Amen? We are a fellowship of, of others first. Whatever's going on in the world, I'll tell you what's going on in the church. We are a fellowship of others first. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, others first. Look at your other neighbor and say, others first. <laughs> we, got some, 
we got some wives, look at some husbands. Yeah, okay. You know. <laughs> look at verse 19. It says this. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them. And he lists off four things to abstain from things polluted by idols. We'll talk about that in a minute. And from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had, has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Church, we are a, we are a fellowship of others first. And verse 19 gives us a clear indication, again, if we weren't clear, of James' leadership over the Jerusalem church and over this council. When he speaks of his judgment, it is the Greek word krino. It means to pass judgment. And it is, the sense is that something is determined or fixed. So when James lays it down, it's done. It's done. And at this point, it's vital to understand the decisions that are being made. Church fam, when James speaks, check out the text, of not troubling those of the Gentiles who turn to God, it is a direct reference to the, the demand, the previous demand for circumcision and law-keeping for the Gentile salvation. So here, here is what's not up for debate. We, we, we talked about this last week. What was not up for debate is whether or not the Gentiles had turned to God. They, they had. That was settled. Salvation by, by grace through faith in Jesus with no works attached. That, that was settled. And, and so I, I say that because James' subsequent remarks have nothing to do with qualifications for salvation and everything to do with living peacefully in gospel community. Amen? Y'all with me? has everything to do with loving others well and putting others first. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted because I, I know with a quick cursory reading, it, it might seem like that, but this was not about a compromise. This, this list of four things, this was not about a compromise in regard to salvation. This was about demonstrating care in their fellowship. Let me say that again. This was not about a compromise in regard to salvation. This was about demonstrating care in their fellowship. See, Tony Evans says this, abstaining from these actions would not save the Gentile Christians or cause them to break fellowship with God, but it would, Evans says, prevent them unnecessarily from offending Jewish Christians and would facilitate fellowship with them. So specifically, James mentions four things. If you look at the text, there's four things to abstain from. Things polluted by idols. This was meat offered primarily in view meat offered in sacrifice to idols and then eaten or sold in shops. Number two, sexual immorality. Three, was animals that had been, would have been strangled. And then four was blood. Four was blood. And, and, and many, listen, many biblical commentators 
believe that there, there, there are a couple things in, in view here, and I, I would agree. First, for the Jews. Here's what that meant for the Jews. For the Jews, these were not only major stumbling blocks for table fellowship, just to hang out and share a meal and have someone in your home. These were long-held practices with century-old roots that went all the way back to the time of Moses. Now, they were fulfilled in Christ, but listen, it was still part of the culture and heritage of the Jews. But for the Gentiles, these same prohibitions had direct ties to many of the pagan worship practices and the idolatry of their their former lifestyle, the lifestyle that a lot of Gentiles had just come out of, even even the reference to sexual immorality, this Greek word pornea, it could have been connected. Uh, There's a good reason to believe it could have been connected back to their former idol worship and pagan practices. But church fam, listen, we can't miss this. This is where, check this out, mutual grace and consideration have to come in. Amen? Putting others and their needs first. Church fam, say others first. For the Jews, <laughs> lay off your insistence that circumcision and, and law keeping are necessary for salvation. They're not. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. But, but for the Gentiles, check this out, show, show deference to the Jews in being aware of what, what would have been despised and despicable to them, specifically these things that James mentioned. And so doing, you're, listen, not only are you looking out for, your, for your, your, your Jewish brothers in Christ, you're also keeping yourself from the temptation to go back to some of this, this former lifestyle of paganism and the idolatry that you were wrapped up in. And, and I, love, I love how Kent Hughes says it. This is... I'm, I'm gonna, I may have to repeat this. Kent Hughes makes two great points. First, as those under grace, we are not to, pay, to make non-biblical requirements of others. Let me say that again. Kent Hughes says, for those who are under grace, we are not to make non-biblical requirements of, of others. Some of y'all, listen, this is not for all the people that you're thinking about that applies to them. It's for you. It's for you. But then he says this, second, because we are under grace, we gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. We gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. And again, I would say, if you're thinking, oh, that's for them. No, it is for you. It's for you. And church family, we've got to, we've got to hold the American church. We've lost this tension. We have got to hold this tension. We, we must see grace, not just as freedom to do what we want, but grace is freedom to love others well, and even at times to lay down our lives and sacrifice self for the sake of others. Listen, I, I, love, I love Christopher's Steakhouse, right? 
we're balling on a budget, so we go maybe once every two years. Anniversary, special occasions. How, how many have been to Christopher's Steakhouse in College Station? Okay. All right, we're going to do a little audience participation. Where are my, where are my, where are my rare steak people? Raise, raise, raise your hands. Amen. Glory to God. We're not under the law. You're okay. Where are my, where are my medium rare people at? Okay. All right. Where, where are my medium folks at? I'm somewhere between medium rare and medium. Okay. Uh, what about, what about well? We got any well, well folks? Okay. Oh, no, you can't do that. No. Wait, 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 wait. What about well done? We're my well done people. Yeah. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're, we're going to pray for the well done folks. Listen, you can walk out this door. You can walk out this door and you can, you can eat a rare steak at Christopher's and it probably not offend a single person in this congregation. But if you were a Gentile having table fellowship with a Jew who grew up under strict adherence to the Torah, man, it would have been appalling and it would have been a detriment to fellowship. And here's the application. Ready? We, listen, church, we all, all of us have unique circumstances and experiences that have shaped our lives and personal convictions. Amen? Can we just agree with that? All of us. But here's what you can't do, Christian. You can't take your personal convictions that may or may not be clearly and universally spelled out in Scripture and make them the law for everyone else of what a good Christian is. Are y'all hearing me this morning? We can't, we can't do that. Church, this is why people fight and they quarrel and they gossip in the church over how to dress and, and how to run the church and how to school children and how to navigate COVID and how to vote and what to eat and what not to eat and all, all the personal tastes and musical preferences and the, the list goes on and on and on. Have we forgotten? Listen, people are still in process. People are still in process. Have we forgotten that we all need to give the same grace that we have received from Jesus Christ? Amen. See, the Judaizers, they, they, they wanted to impose this system of works on the Gentiles before, check this out, before they would receive them as brothers and sisters. Sadly, listen, we, we do the same thing today with one another. And we, we end up radiating legalism and self-righteousness to one another. And check this out, to the world. Instead of reflecting the grace of God and the glorious gospel of God in Christ. Kent Hughes says this, all of these extra biblical restrictions take their toll and they block, they block the proclamation of God's grace to a dying world. We must be a fellowship 
of others first. We must be a fellowship of others first. And again, if you're sitting here right now and your first thought is about all of them out there, man, yeah, you're right. You're right, preacher. They need, they need to put others first. Hear this in love. You're the problem. You're the problem. Because this only works when we, when there's mutual grace. This only works when we show mutual grace to one another. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, I, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. I do it for the sake of the gospel. Listen. Out of love for their brothers, the Gentiles needed to refrain from eating their rare steak at Christopher's, okay? Christian, out of love for your brother and sister, you need to understand that they have their own unique experiences, circumstances, and even hardship that has shaped their personal convictions. And with restorations, with, with RCB's vision, with our mission and vision, listen, we, we have got to display cross-cultural concern that leads to harmony. Amen? That's what we're about. It's what the Word of God is about. And this is what Romans 14 and 15 are all about. Listen, we, we talked about this last week. Quit dying on hills that have nothing to do with Christ crucified and raised. Stop. Like, what are we doing? It's okay to have that personal conviction. And maybe in, in relationship and friendship, like maybe over time, like the, the people around you, I mean, don't be like a crazy warrior for your cause, but people, maybe they'll come around. They're in process. But listen, quit dying on hills that don't have anything to do with Jesus as the Savior of the world. Stop. Be gracious, but know this, grace, grace has got to flow both ways, amen? Ultimately, grace has got to flow from two parties who understand that apart from Christ, man, we would both be dead, lost, and dead in our sin. Now, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me close, I'll close with this, and then we're done. <laughs> funny, funny little, funny little story but I, I read, I read a, a, a story where uh, Tonto and the, uh, the Lone Ranger <laughs> were, were riding through a canyon together uh, when all of a sudden both, both sides of the canyon were filled with, with Native Americans uh, on, on these uh, warriors on horses dressed for battle. And the Lone Ranger turned to Tano and asked, what, what are we going to do? And Tano replied, what, what you mean we, white man? <laughs> Church, we've got to stop turning on one another. Amen? How in the world is the world going to see Jesus with all this bickering and fighting about secondary things? We have got to quit turning on one another. Church, the, the battle is upon us. 
then maybe, listen, I like I max sympathy. Maybe, maybe you weren't ready for it. Maybe you thought being a Christian, like, oh man, now I'm just blessed and everything's going to be awesome. And like, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. I'm sorry. It's not the, that's not reality. It's not the testimony of scripture. So maybe you weren't ready for the battle, but it's here. And so Christian, the question is when you are pressed where will you find your primary identity? Will you, will you echo the words of Paul and say, man, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Christian, when you are, when you are pressed Will you be conformed to the patterns and the ideologies of this world? Or will you echo the words of Jesus when he said, greater, in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Church, let's be a people for the name of Jesus. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> and like Jesus, let's pour our lives out for one another. Let's pour our lives out for others so that they might see and savor Jesus too. Y'all pray with me this morning.